change. Dinner's ready. I'm on an important call. With who? My boyfriend. Your what? Hi, this is Mr. Foreman. Who is this and how old are you? All right. Well, I just wanted to say that if you ever give my daughter an alcoholic beverage or a joint, I will hunt you down and neuter you. Dad! Dinner's ready. Hey, well, good morning again to everyone. All right. Well, about uh, 17 years ago, Teresa and I saw our world take a dramatic turn. After about 20 hours of labor and an emergency C-section, my daughter Taryn uh, arrived, and we became parents for the first time. Uh, two years and another C-section later, uh, Danielle arrived on the scene, and we became parents for a second time. Now, uh, in what seems like uh, overnight, we have two beautiful teenage daughters, and uh, life just keeps on changing. <laughs> they picked that one out, by the way. Uh, some psychologists can tell me what that means, but uh, if you are a parent, uh, you can probably relate to the dad in uh, today's movie clip, especially if you're the parent of a teenager. Now, life begins to pick up speed soon after these little bundles of joy arrive. You know, when they're infants, it's tiring, but you can manage. I mean, they just kind of stay in one spot. They don't do a whole lot other than, you know, eat, sleep, and poop. And then they turn into toddlers, and then they become mobile, and it gets a lot harder to keep up. They hit elementary school, and, and, and you're absorbing change as quickly as you can. Then they enter middle school, and you're struggling now to keep up. And overnight, they become teenagers, and change goes into overdrive. And now as a parent, now you're trying to keep up with grades and college decisions and driving and part-time jobs and sports and extracurricular activities and parties and the ever-changing roster of friends. And don't even get me started on the whole guy-girl thing. You know, that's, that's a whole new deal. As a parent, you desperately want the very best for your kid. We all do. And deep down inside, I think every parent lives in constant, a constant state of insecurity, agonizing over the possible consequences of, of the decisions that you make. You're hoping that your decisions are going to help your kid turn out for the best, but you're f- secretly fearing that you're just screwing them up. I think hands down, parenting is the hardest thing that I've ever done, but it is the most fun that I've ever had. It has been the single greatest source of tears and stress and frustration and confusion, insecurity and hair loss in my life. (laughs) On the other hand, uh, parenting has more than compensated for that with joy, excitement and pride and amazement and maturity and insight and memories and laughter on top of laughter. It's been a pretty good deal. Today we're continuing in our, our series, Help. And last week, Rob talked to you about connecting relationally, how important that is. And, and today, I'm going to actually talk to you about a relationship that is in constant danger of becoming disconnected. Um, that is the relationship between a parent and a teenager. Now, obviously, I, I'm realistic here. I know that one 25, 30-minute message is, is way too short to adequately address this topic. Uh, so keep in mind that I'm painting this morning with a pretty broad brush and and at the end of the message today, I'm probably going to have both of you, both groups unhappy with me. So uh, I'm going to recommend uh, some resources that you can, you can check out and peruse later, and I would encourage you to do that. And also want to assure you that there are several of us here at LifePoint that are in the thick of parenting. And some of us have graduated on and are now grandparenting. 
And so there's lots of folks around for um, encouragement and counsel, advice, and just to commiserate with. So uh, it, it's a good place for you to be today. Let's get a little perspective on this whole um, parenting thing. And, and I want to start with a little bit of perspective by actually beginning with a disclaimer. And that is, I don't know what I'm doing. Okay? So some of you are going, great. What are we listening to you for? I told you it would be a good day to go out for breakfast. But um, while I don't know what I'm doing, neither do you. Okay? So let's just be honest about it. Uh, none of us, you know, parents have ever been parents before. This is a new thing for each of us. And each of our kids is different. You know, not one of them came with an instruction booklet, you know. Um, it, that, it just didn't work that way. I mean, they always surprise us. Uh, you know, the, our toddler, our style of discipline, our toddlers is, even has to be different. You know, with, with Taryn, all I had to do was look at her with a frown, and she'd, she'd start crying and stop whatever she was doing. It was great. Danielle, on the other hand, I have to pick up, put her over my knee, and after about the fifth swat on her backside, she'd kind of look up at me and say, hey, old man, is that all you got? You know? <laughs> you know, and Taryn, I mean... Just stuff comes out of nowhere. When Taryn was learning to write her name, and, and she was practicing, and she practiced everywhere, and, and found out there's some cool rocks that make letters on the driveway, that was all fine and good until she decided that those rocks would be pretty good to write her name on the front of her Honda. You know, So I came out, T-A-R-Y-N-H, because she was off-center. I was like, Taryn, who did this? I don't know. You know? So it, it's, a whole de- it's a whole different deal. So we, we tend to parent... You and I, like our parents did, both the good and the bad of that. And being a parent is scary. Um, there's a lot of pressure on us, a lot of change that we're trying to absorb, and a lot of decisions with some major consequences. And let me say uh, to the teenagers that are in the audience today, I'm aware that none of you have ever been teenagers before. This is a new thing for you. And honestly, as your parents, we've forgotten what it's like. We're old, remember? So, again, it's a scary thing. You guys are being faced with things um, that are, are brand new to you, and some of you way earlier than we did as, as teenagers. There's a lot of pressure on you, a lot of change to absorb, and a lot of decisions that you're being asked to make that all have major consequences as well. And so we come into this parent-teen thing, and there are problems from the get-go. And some of those problems come from parents, like parental baggage. You know, uh, parents bring sometimes some childhood baggage into the parenting mix, you know, um, maybe you had a frustrated sports career and you're trying to relive that now through your child. Or there were some fears and insecurities that, that happened when you were growing up and they've haunted you your whole life and now you're bringing that into your parenting. You know, maybe you're an overachiever or an underachiever or um, there's some other things at work and that tweaks how you parent your kid. You know, teenagers bring um, into the equation some teenage arrogance. You know, teenagers are convinced that they are the smartest people in the room. You know, all adults are stupid. My 14-year-old friend knows more than my 40-year-old dad, okay? That's, that's kind of par for the course. Uh, you know, our, the media does not help. I think it was Mark Twain that said, you know, when I was 17, I thought my father was an idiot. And then when I turned 21, I was amazed at how much he learned in four years, you know? Um, so there's a little bit of arrogance that comes with, with being a teenager. And then you've got both groups that, that operate with extremes. You know, you've got parents that... Um, who, on one extreme, who want to control and dominate every aspect of their child's life. You know, it's a security thing or a control thing with them. And then on the other extreme, you've got parents that have absolutely no boundaries, no guidance, and give very little discipline to their kid. You've got some students who are totally dependent on their parents for everything. They, they, they don't think or take responsibility for themselves. They don't, they don't do laundry. They don't cut the grass. They don't help clean up after, after a meal. Um, 
They expect when they go out and stick the key in the car that it should be full of gas because they were going to use it. Uh, you know, that, that, that's it. The world revolves around them. And then you've got, on the other extreme, you've got kids that are so um, competent, they, they're independent now, and they become disconnected and disrespectful, and they refuse to listen to or submit to any authority. Then you have sometimes some ugly stuff in families, you know, stuff like substance abuse, either with the teenager or sometimes even the parent gets involved with a drug or alcohol addiction. Sometimes there's physical abuse in the house, sometimes sexual abuse, and sometimes you have families that are reeling from divorce or the death of a loved one or some debilitating illness. And, and all of these things kind of converge during the teenage years, and, and they make this, this mix of things that makes that relationship extremely volatile. And sometimes it even seems impossible to get through this particular time. I guess if I was going to sum it up and put it in a nutshell, I would say that for a parent, your job, to, to just put it briefly, is to raise a child to be ready to leave home. Mom and dad, that's what you're supposed to do. Get your kid ready to leave the house. Ideally, you know, in, in, in an ideal world, at each stage of development, a, a kid would receive more responsibility and a little bit more freedom, provided that they handle both of those well. The problem comes when mom and dad don't give enough responsibility or enough freedom to their student. Um, you know, that's it's a big deal. They, they just will not release control and don't allow their kid or encourage their kid to think for themselves and take responsibility and give them the accompanying freedom. Or the problem when they have a student, a teenager at home that demands all of the freedom but wants absolutely zero responsibility, okay? Then stuff gets ugly real fast, you know? Fortunately for you and I, God has provided us a plan so we can, so we can navigate this relational thing together. God's plan is actually found over in the book of Ephesians. If you find Matthew, hang a right, go about nine books, you'll come across Ephesians. Uh, chapter 6. You'll look at this and go, well, this is pretty easy to understand, but you'll find it's very difficult to put into practice. And the writer of uh, the book of Ephesians was very intentional at how he worded this letter to, to the church there. And I think it's no accident that um, he talks to the kids before he talks to parents. And I have an idea for a theory on that that I'll get to in just a moment. But like it or not, we're just going to start where Scripture st- starts. And so... Um, Teens, I'm going to talk to you for just a moment this morning. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3, says this. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Wow. Again, pretty simple to understand, but man, this is hard to put into practice. He didn't pull any punches. Right away, he says, obey Obey. That's teenagers. First thing you do is obey. Now, obedience is something that we all struggle with, but especially as a teenager. Obedience is really difficult because it involves humility and it involves submission to authority. And both of those things are kind of at odds with a teenager's growing desire for independence. They are turning into young adults and they are, they're kind of bucking things a lot. And, and so you're asking them now to submit, exercise a little humility. Remember, these are the folks that think they're the smartest people in the room, Okay. That's tough to do. So why do it? Why obey? Well, see, obedience to your parents is a good practice for obedience to God. This is an indicator of how things are going in your relationship with God. If you were listening to your folks, if you were doing what they say, if you were living your life with integrity and honesty and, and you, know, you were respectful, there's a very good chance that you will bring that practice into your relationship with your Heavenly Father. 
You obey your parents if you're a believer, a believing student, a believing teenager. If you have a faith in God, then you believe, uh, you obey your parents because you belong to God first. And you want to do whatever God asks you to do, right? Just nod this way if you agree. Okay. You obey your parents because it is the right thing to do. See, obedience, when it's practiced, it brings order out of chaos at home. It brings peace where there's been conflict. And it builds trust between parents and students. And here's the thing. Where there is trust, there is more freedom. See, obedience to your mom and dad actually takes you where you want to go, right? Now, it gets tougher. Next he says, honor your father and mother. See, honoring is harder to do than obeying. I mean, you can outwardly comply with whatever anybody wants you to do and never, ever honor them in the process. It's like the toddler who, uh, you know, they were sitting in the booth at the restaurant and, and she kept standing up and, and kind of leaning over and pestering the people in the booth next to her. Dad kept saying, sit down, sit down. You know, finally he got so frustrated, he walked across the table, picked her up about four inches and pff, let her drop into the seats. I said, sit down. This little girl sat there for a minute. She looked at him and said, well, I'm sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside, all right? That's not honoring, okay? That's complying. Um, see, honoring is something that's done at a heart level, and it's something that you can't fake because honor involves appreciation and love and affection and respect. All those things are heart issues. You, you can't fake that. I, I have to say I've been very blessed. I'm not exactly sure how this happened, but um, both my girls do a really great job of honoring uh, their mom and dad. And you know, there are little things like, you know, Taryn calling me in the middle of the day, say, hey, Dad, I, I, want, I need some advice on X, Y, Z, or I want a guy's perspective on this. Or, you know, and the, when we realize, it, you know, it's after 9 o'clock on a school night, and we realize, oh, man, we don't have any bread for lunches tomorrow, and Dad's got to make a trip to the store, and Dad says, hey, anybody want to go with me? And one of them says, sure, I'll ride along. And we have conversations on the way over, listen to music, and just have, enjoy our time together. Or out of the blue, one of them will decide that they're going to start dinner to give uh, or, or do a load of laundry to help out Teresa. And I love, uh, every now and then this happens, I'll wake up and I'll stumble down to the coffee maker in the morning to get a cup of coffee, and there's a little sticky note with, you know, a nice note to Dad on it. And I think, man, how cool is that? That is honoring your father and mother, and it's a very special thing. So why do we do that? Um, again, this concept is pretty central in our relationship with God. Whether or not we honor our parents is an indicator of how we're conducting our relationship with God. See, if, how can you claim to honor God when you dishonor your mom and dad? Those things do not go together. Now, here's a good question. What if my parents are not honorable? And that's a fair question because a lot of us in this room have struggled over the years with an abusive or an absent parent. Many of you heard me talk about this several weeks ago, just about my experiences growing up and a dad who was physically abusive and, and who abandoned our family financially and emotionally and just not a great role model there. And I have to tell you, in the interest of full disclosure, my relationship with my mom was not a whole lot better than my relationship with my dad. And so this particular scripture has really caused some conflict for me in trying to you know, follow God all these years. Like, what do I do with this? And I had a really wise counselor, a guy named John Miller, said, hey, Darren, here's the deal. Um, you honor their position as father or mother in your life. You acknowledge that, and you, and you appreciate that. That does not mean that you ignore the past or you submit to continuing abuse. But I just acknowledge and say, yes, this is my father. Yes, this is my mom. Okay, I can do that. And those of you who, 
who have wrestled with this over the years can do that as well. Here's why you want to do this. There's a promise involved um, in applying this scripture. See, God promises those who actually practice honoring and obeying their parents a long life that is full of blessing. Now, there's, there's a flip side to that. Let me give you a warning here. There's a flip side to this promise. I believe that if it's true that um, if you honor and obey your parents that you have a long life full of blessing, I believe that if you disobey and dishonor your parents, you will shorten your life. And instead of a life that's full of blessing, you'll have a life that becomes full of problems. I don't think you have to look very far in your circle of acquaintances or in our popular culture to see that that's true. There are a lot of folks around us who have lived, grown up and lived their life in a way that is not honoring to their parents, uh, that is not full of obedience to authority, and you can see the fruit of that in their life, and it's not pretty. So be aware that there is a flip side to that promise. Now, parents, let me talk to you for just a moment here. In verse 4 of Ephesians 6, Paul writes these words. He says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Scripture encourages us as parents with this. You know, don't provoke your kid. All the teenagers just joined us again. Like, all right, go Darren. Yeah, before some of you are tempted to be a smart aleck and go home and quote this to your dad, kind of wave this in front of him like a red flag in front of a bull, don't do that. That's why the writer, I think, talks to you first about honoring and obeying. Because that, that would not fall in that category. So don't, don't do that. Um, this is another passage, very easy to understand, but it's very difficult to live out. And mom and dad, let me, let me clarify what this does not mean. This does not mean that you were to walk around on eggshells so you don't upset the little darlings, okay? This does not mean that as a parent that now you can no longer take a stand on things like curfew, dress code, jobs, uh, dating, attitude, and chores because they might get upset. That is not all what that means. So I'm sorry to disappoint you teens, but uh, let, me see if I can give, let me see if I can put this in perspective. How we conduct ourselves with our, with our teens, a lot of times we provoke them. It's like the first day of middle school, and I, I, I trooped into Wellington Junior High School. We didn't even go to class. Before we ever went to class, they herded the entire student body into the auditorium, and the guy I'd never seen before in my life, I assumed he was a principal because he had on a suit and tie, walked up with this book, plop, put it on the podium, the Wellington Junior High School Student Handbook. And then Mel Coates, the principal, proceeded to read all the rules one by one. And I'm sitting there think, you know, thinking, and they, they weren't outlandish. I mean, it was stuff about, you know, when the tardy bell rang and, and the penalties for detention and, and, you know, basic dress code stuff and, and language and all that. But, you know, I, I, I'm not a real rebellious kid, but I'm sitting there listening to this stuff, and I'm finding myself getting angrier and angrier. By the time he was done, the first thing I wanted to do was go out and put on an obscene T-shirt, chew gum, stick it to the wall, and flip off the principal. I was, I was furious. What's going on? Who is this guy telling me what to do? I don't know him. See, all children, well, put it this way. Josh McDowell has this great line. This is parental math. You might want to write this down. I don't know if it originated with him, but he's who I heard it from, so I'm giving him credit. He says this, rules minus relationship equals rebellion. Rules minus relationship equals rebellion. Every child gets angry and resentful when rules are given apart from a relationship. You know, Parents provoke anger in their students by being largely absent and silent, and then all of a sudden they ride in out of left field and start handing out decrees right and left. You know, a lot, of, a lot of parents these days travel for work, and they're out of town Monday through Thursday. They get in late Thursday evening, and they discover after they get home, hey, things have gotten a little out of hand while I've been gone here. And so Friday morning, you know, 
everybody's greeted with a new set of decrees and rules. You know, dad or mom are on the war path, you know, and I got to tell you, folks, that provokes your kid, provokes your spouse, too, in case you haven't figured that out. Uh, don't do that. Or if you have a parent that's been largely silent on everything, hasn't given any decrees or guidance, all of a sudden they get fired up after a church service, or they go on a retreat, or they read a book, or they finally had enough, and they just write in and start handing out rules about everything from whether or not you can have an earring and dress code and, and who your friends can be and just go crazy and go nuts. And they are setting up a huge war at home. That's provoking your kid because there is no relationship there to put those rules in context. Nothing wrong with the rules. There's nothing wrong with bringing the house back into order. But when there's no relationship there, people, people react to that. Sometimes we provoke our kids by, with parental pride. Um, parents provoke anger by being too proud to admit when they screw up or too arrogant to listen to an alternative viewpoint or never showing any humility by apologizing. A wise man named Ray McPeak told me one time, said, Darren, you'll get a lot farther in life if you learn to love the taste of crow. There's a lot of wisdom in that, and it's true. The words, I'm sorry, or I was wrong, were things that neither myself nor my wife, Teresa, ever heard growing up from our parents. And we said, you know, if, if we do nothing else right when we're parenting our kids, that is one thing that my girls, our girls will see. They will see a mom and dad who are willing to say, hey, we were wrong. We were out of line. We blew it. I'm sorry. Because I got to tell you, I'm not bright enough sometimes to avoid the mistake before I make it. Usually I'm picking up the pieces afterwards, okay? So my girls, I've eaten plates of crow around my house. It happens all the time. And it's a good thing. Because I'm not perfect and I do make mistakes. And I know many of you are the same way. Sometimes we provoke our kid because we go off on a parental power trip. Admit it. There are times when it feels good to be king or queen, doesn't it? Okay? And when the discussion's not going well or you're just tired of dealing with the situation, you know, you can just pull rank. And sometimes there's this little evil part of you that takes over. And you see the line coming and you enjoy just barreling right through it. Say, I'm just going to let them have it. Uh, I have to tell you a story. It's, it's not my finest moment, but um, a few weeks ago, Danielle and I were having a, a discussion, okay, it was an argument, um, about the condition of her room. And to be honest with you, it looked like a bomb went off in there. And it, it, uh, it had been that way for, you know, for weeks. And we kept saying, we have to say, will you make your bed? Why? I'm just going to sleep in and in later tonight. Why do I have to make my bed? Because I said so. I don't see why I have to make my bed. You know, laundry piled up everywhere. It was just, it was crazy. And finally, I'd had enough. And so what started out as a discussion about the condition of the room, you know, eventually got to Danielle. Now, Taryn, on the other hand, would have just said, oh, whatever, and gone off. Danielle is more vocal, and so um, she got nose-to-nose with me, and we were having this discussion about the room. I could feel myself getting more agitated, and, and, and I could hear some things in my mind that I should not say. But there was another voice that said, it's going to feel so good to say those things. And so I just, wah, just went all over her. And I felt really big and powerful until I saw the words hit. And then I saw the change come over her face, and she just kind of imploded, and she started crying. And I thought, oh, and then I felt about this big. That was not a good situation. I had to come back and eat another big, large serving of crow that day. But sometimes we do. We feel this perverse um, delight in watching your son sputter and stammer and fume and you feel powerful because you can take your teenage daughter and reduce her to a crying little girl with the power of your words. And God says, don't provoke your kids. Don't do it. God also instructs parents to be spiritually proactive. 
Scripture makes it very clear that parents have significant responsibilities beyond providing basic food, clothing, and shelter. Food, clothes, shelter, that's easy stuff. That's the easiest thing you have to do as a parent. But God wants us to do something much more challenging, and that is to play a primary role in training our kids in spiritual matters. He instructs us to bring them up in, spirit, in discipline approved by God. God has instructed us to give our kids boundaries, to teach them the proper way to behave, to tell them no at times. You know, believe it or not, in spite of all the signs they're giving you to the contrary, they really do want to know that you love them enough to say no or to ask what time you're coming home or to get to know their friends or to inquire about the date that they're going on and what happened on that date. They want to know that you love them, you care about them enough, that you have boundaries and you have rules and, and you're curious and you're inquiring and, yeah, nosy, whatever you want to call it, but you're involved in their life. We're to give them teaching approved by God. Let me just be clear. This is not the family life ministry, or the student ministry's ultimate responsibility. Okay, let's be realistic. Summer and I have your, your kids, on average, about an hour and a half, one time a week. Okay? Now, who's in the best position to impact them spiritually? Us or you? I would vote you, because you've been with them way before we got there. You're going to be with them long after we're out of the picture. That's why God gives the primary responsibility for spiritual training and growth to the parents. Now, having said that, I want to assure you that you're not alone here. There are resources available to help you, like the Family Life Ministry, like the student ministry here at LifePoint. There, you know, there are lots of resources out there. That was something that, you know, Teresa and I didn't have a lot to draw on from our families growing up, and so we were scrambling. We, we read everything we get our hands on. We, we saw parents and kids, and we liked the way they interacted. We'd ask them questions. I grilled students for years. Okay, what does your dad do when this happens? And how does your mom handle this? Because we needed help. Let me recommend a couple of books if you're in the mood to write something down. If, if you've got younger kids, if you've never read it, read Dare to Discipline by Dr. James Dobson. For those of you who just rolled your eyes, shame on you. <laughs> I found that the people who have problems with James Dobson have never actually read James Dobson. So let me encourage you to read that book. It has been very helpful to me over the years. It's one of the most fair and accurate and scripture-based uh, books on discipline I've ever read, and it covers a pretty broad age span. If you've got t- teenagers, there's a good book by Dennis and Barbara Rainey uh, called Parenting Today's Adolescent. It's available through familylife.org. Again, really helpful, practical stuff. There are also, uh, again, ministries and community groups that are right here at LifePoint. God actually gives parents a plan to keep our kids moving in the right direction. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. It says this, Listen, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Scripture instructs us as parents, first and foremost, to commit our own lives to wholeheartedly following God. Here's why. You can't give your kid what you don't have yourself. You can't impart something to your student that you don't have. Teenagers develop this amazing um, sense of smell for hypocrisy. It's, not, it's actually kind of easy to find it because it stinks so bad. When you talk and live one way about God when you're here, in a totally different way, week to week at your home and on your job, kids see that. And they figure, well, this God stuff is a waste of time. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't really change anybody's life. 
my parents not any different because they claim to believe in God. It's offensive. It's hypocritical. So you got to commit your own life to Christ and follow him first. And then you have something to impart and model for your kid. We talk about your faith and spiritual matters and scripture and the joys and challenges of following Christ all the time, which is easy to do if, you're, if your heart is given to Christ. Then it becomes a natural part of your vocabulary. Well, there's another good question here. What if I've not done anything to help my kid grow spiritually? Well, my answer to that is it's never too late. Never too late. Begin where you can. Even if your kids are grown out of the house, you can still have an influence. You're always going to be a parent. And you can still have an influence for God in their life. Just start somewhere. <laughs> um, sometimes you have to be reminded. You know, after we got back from the mission trip, uh, again, Danielle, bless her heart, she's the one who says things. She says, you know, Dad, I was thinking it'd really be good if we pray together as a family. Like, Great. Nice job, youth pastor. Um, yes, Danielle, that would be a very good thing. You know, I wish I would thought of that. Um, so I, I don't even get it right all the time. And sometimes I have to be reminded to step back up and, and, and look at what I'm doing or look at what I'm not doing and adjust and change things. Because my relation, Your relationship with your kids, it's dynamic. It changes all the time. Here's the bottom line. Your parents or your teenagers may actually be driving you nuts, and that's not what God intended, okay? And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, it's time that you should ask for help. It's going to take a commitment from you to work God's plan. And, and because these are real relationships with real people, these are not actors or mannequins, they require constant maintenance. There's no um, big one-time decision and this Hollywood happy ending and everything stays fixed forever. That's not the way it works. You make this many decisions each day, and it's not easy. It's not glamorous. It's work. But it's hard work that pays off in a big way because you're investing in something that is priceless. The reality is that healthy and fully functioning relationships take all parties working together. And in your family, maybe you all have been at a stalemate. Mom or dad, you may be the only ones at a place where you're willing to work on improving this relationship. Or teens, at this point in time, you may be the ones that are ready to do the heavy lifting to make this thing work. You may not be able to fix everything at once, but maybe you can take some small steps today. I would encourage you to do that. Maybe it's time to say, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Um, begin a conversation. Say a prayer. Go for a Coke. Take a walk. Take a short road trip. Do something. Someone has to make a move to make things better. Why should that someone be you? Let's pray.